Forgotten Homeland by Joe Talon Chapter 4 That night the storm hit again. The first bang came at 03.30 hours, the first scream at 03.48. The wind spent the rest of the night trying to reach me as I refused to leave the bed, no matter how the torment raged outside. I lay there, bedside light on, staring at the growing damp patch on my ceiling and begging my mind not to think about a girl lost on the moor, having fallen from her horse. Bloody dangerous things, horses. I also tried to forget the pills in the pocket of my jeans on the chair. However, I found myself staring at the chair-shaped shadow in the corner of the room. My life deserved a better kind of peace than that found in the bottom of a bottle of booze or pills. The moment I'd left hospital, I'd stopped taking them. Maybe that's why the dreams were worse, the insomnia. Maybe that's what caused the night noises, cracking through the dark. At least I didn't have any of my nightmares, while the rain lashed at the windows. Not a place for dust and sand, the waking torment of a British storm. Thomas Hearn turned up at ten hundred hours, in a sleek Audi. He looked like he sounded. A little round, grey-haired, clean-shaven, and nicely ironed. His dug colour outshone the day, which looked like it was sulking. He stood taller than me, but most men were. I didn't stand out other than the scars, and most people tried not to stare at them. It's good to meet you at last, Rev Hearn said, extending his hand. And you, Reverend? Thomas is fine. Anything else is usually just for the official stuff and when I need to pull rank, he winked. Did he know about my past as well? If I had Dad here, I'd strangle him. We stood outside in the lane. When the vicar arrived, I'd been in the yard trying to make my exhausted mind deduce the reason for the Nissan's reluctance to start. Will we go straight up to the church, I asked. The door was banging again last night. Really? And you heard it from the house? I thought it odd, that's for sure, but no doubt it's coming from the church, not the barns. Well, I'm sorry. We walked together to the formal entrance to the church grounds, not my shortcut over the wall. A small, well-weathered gate of a lovely design was set into stone pillars, and dozens of shallow steps led parishioners to the door of the church. I wondered how much I could stay, without giving the impression I was a poster child for PTSD. Odd thing, though, sounded like someone inside doing the banging, but with no electric I couldn't see, and the torch wasn't working. Still wasn't. I added batteries to my mental list. Banging inside? he asked, voice sharper than I'd heard it so far. My scalp tingled. Never a good sign. Yes, and what sounded like a woman's scream, though that could have been the wind. We reached the door, the strange scratchings on the front, a mystery to me, but they looked to be in Latin and were old graffiti rather than modern vandalism. Thomas Hearn placed a hand on the iron latch and pulled out a large key from his jacket pocket. It's not locked. He tested the latch, and the door didn't open. He inserted the key, turned it, and the door opened on a second command. A small part of my brain whimpered. Wasn't locked, I whispered not hiding my confusion. Thomas Hearn paused before he crossed the threshold. Did you come into the church? No. He squared onto me, back to the open doorway, both of us filling the small porch. I know your recent history, Lon. I mean no disrespect, son. But why did you leave the regiment? Eighteen-year veteran and you pack it in before hitting the full service of twenty. You could have coasted the final two. How do you know? I asked. The spikes in my skin raced over the surface, making me want to run. It's a small community, 
those of us that have served as padres in the UK forces. I blinked several times, computing the information. You served? He smiled. Paratroopers, before your time, mine. Ireland, Bosnia, Germany. Not always the soft good old boy this parish knows of me. I worked with the powers all the time. Good men, soon to be good women as well, which made me proud of how far special forces had come. My back straightened. Thanks for telling me, sir. None of that, lad. It was a long time ago. It takes time to adjust to this world. You can always talk to me if you need to, all right? He had a different look in his deep brown eyes, now serious, calm, a confidence that only comes from knowing your place in the world, having seen the worst it had to offer, and having survived. I could only nod, and that seemed enough. He pivoted on his heel, as if on parade, and entered the nave. I followed with what I could only describe as trepidation swirling through my gut. Light filtered through the largest window of the altar, and several smaller Gothic-style windows down the sides, all with clear glass. The wooden ship had been flipped over and turned into a church roof. All the walls were white, but there were small notices in places, talking about the history of Stoke Perrow. used to be quite the community up here in the 18th and 19th century. Now just a few scattered farms existed. Only forty people could comfortably sit in the church in the front. A simple, small, white stone birdbath stood at the entrance to the small tower. A bell rope came through the roof, giving evidence to a bell in the tower. Not that I heard the bell often, not even in the wind. The pews were plain, and I wondered if the austere Welsh chapel influence formed the basis for the design of the interior. It felt low church, rather than the bells and smells of the larger churches in the area. We were closer to Wales than Bristol, if the sea weren't in the way, so the Welsh chapel field didn't seem out of place. A tiny lectern would lift a preacher off the plain brown tiles of the floor and give him enough authority to deliver his sermons. The scent of stone, wood and still air made it harmless to my senses. It felt safe, comfortable, so unlike the scary place I thought it just a few nights ago. I began to wonder if I'd been locked in some terrible dream since returning home, and none of this was real. The pill battle loomed in the back of my skull. I did a full 360 to take in the entire interior. Nothing. There was nothing in the building but what you'd expect from a tiny rural parish church. What the hell? Thomas coughed and gave me a look that had the heat rising in my cheeks. Sorry. Shall we sit and enjoy the quiet for a moment? he asked. I'd rather poke my eyes out. This still quiet made me prickly and uncomfortable. Unless I had a sniper rifle in my hands, I didn't like sitting still, all right. We sat on the hard wooden pew, two back from the altar. Describe to me exactly what happened, Thomas said, sitting side on so he could see my face, the side with the scars. I eyed him. You're going to think I'm nuts. I work for a supernatural being more than half the country no longer believes exists. What do you think most people consider me? His amused expression made me feel safe. Okay, well, since I've been back, which hasn't been a week yet, I've been hearing a banging door. I've checked all our doors on the farm, all the shutters, everything, multiple times. Then, during the storm the other night, I left the house again because of the banging. It made me uncomfortable just thinking about this, and I paused. Thomas's soft voice asked, What happened next, Lorne? I realised it came from the church, the banging. It sounded so much like single-shot rifle fire, you know? He nodded. Then the screaming started. That made his face pale. Screaming? I thought it was the wind, I really did. But it doesn't sound like wind. 
I mean, no wind. I have a dream. My last mission. It wasn't that scream. I know that scream. My hands were twisting, and I'd begun to sweat. Okay. I made it to the church. I came into the porch, expecting the door to be off its hinges it banged so much. It was closed, but not locked. I opened it. The inside of the church. It was really dark. I called it. Nothing. Then came the scream. I stumbled, landed on my ass. The door slammed shut. I don't ever remember being that scared before, Vicar. No, I don't suppose you do, he murmured. I closed the door, made sure it was shut firm. Checked the outside of the building, just in case someone was there, and my hearing tricked me. Nothing. No one. I know I'm alone up here a lot. I probably spend too much time alone. But I need that time. I need to heal. He nodded, face quiet and serious, focused only on me. Not even the regiment shrink could listen harder to my voice and body. You still believe this happened outside of your own mind? I could take deep offence at that, but I knew what he meant. As a long-serving NCO, I'd seen men crack more than once, and the strange things they'd said made it clear what they saw and heard was real to them. What I said to him now was real to me, in that moment, in the dark of a storm. Honestly, I looked him square in the eye. I don't know. I see. He took a breath and studied the altar. He looked like he had some internal monologue going, and he nodded just a little. I'm going to tell you a sad story that not many hereabouts want to know or remember. He shifted a little, arm resting on the pew in front. When this church was first rebuilt, there was an instance that few in the area wanted recording. I found it in the diary of one of my predecessors in Luckham. A girl, young woman really, from a local farm, was set to marry a man from a larger farm on the moor. He was older than her by some years, and she would be his second wife, the first having died in childbirth. Common enough in those days. Attractive young woman, by all accounts, and a good girl, if a little willful. Thomas smiled. The diary's words, not mine. Anyway, she helped her father with the pony drive that autumn, so the ponies could be sold in Bampton at the fair. As is the way of these things, she met a young man, a travelling lad. A gypsy? A bit Lorna Doon meets Wuthering Heights, but yes, that's how he's described in the diary. They agreed to run away together, but her father drags her back to the moor. Communities here were so much more isolated in those days, no paved roads to speak of over the moor, and it's a long way from Bampton to a farmstead the other side of Dunkery Beacon. I found myself entranced by the story. It played out inside my head like a tragic melodrama. What happened next? The young man rolled one of his horses up to the farm so he could ask formally for her hand, but was refused. In the argument that followed, he managed to tell the young woman, Alice Winters, to meet him on the road below the beacon on the night of the full moon. Mostly, I suspect, because it would be the only way to see safely for the horses, not because of any romantic reason. A storm raged over the moor that night, but she walked to the meeting place. Sadly, the father and husband-to-be had watched her like hawks, or hounds, perhaps and followed her. When she realised, she bolted to the only place she thought she'd find sanctuary. The church. He nodded. The curate, who lived in the hamlet in a small cottage, now gone under your farmhouse, next to the church, wouldn't let her inside. She was promised to someone else, and that was that. Called her a whore. Thomas grew quiet for a moment before he whispered. How many deaths has the church caused because of its pride and judgement? He shook his head and I declined to give an opinion. Anyway, the father and fiancé got up with the girl at the church door. He nodded at the door in question. He was banging on it, screaming to be let in. 
Then quite suddenly the door opened, but the curate, he hadn't unlocked it. She ran to the altar, collapsed to her knees, and begged for the rites of sanctuary. The curate told the vicar of Luckham all this, which is how I read about it. The rites of sanctuary were a medieval concept, but still strung hereabouts in those days. When the father and fiancé stormed in, young Alice ran to the back of the church to the tower. They chased her. The church hadn't been finished, so there must have been building materials everywhere. The tower steps could be used, though, so up she went. And down she came. Thomas nodded again. Whether she leapt to her death, fell by accident, or was pushed by her pursuers, no one records. I checked the court papers when I moved to the parish, being a bit of a historian, and it was recorded as an accident in the assizes. The young lad never did come to fetch her, though. That's the really sad thing, or perhaps I've become an old romantic. You think I heard that? The shivers over my skin and the tingling in my spine made it clear my mind thought I'd heard it, felt it. He looked deeply troubled. It's the same time of year as the old horse fair, the autumn storms, your family having such upheaval the last few years, and of course, me, damaged soldier alone on the wild moor, seeing and hearing all kinds of things because my brain is broken. He placed a chilled hand on mine. Not broken, Lorne, just, just a little restless and confused for a bit. It felt a bit more serious than that for my side of things. You think I'm imagining it? I couldn't and wouldn't say that, but as to what you were experiencing, I can't speculate. What I can do is offer prayers for you and the girl, which I will do, and you're welcome to stay while I do it. Chapter 5 That night I had hopes of sleep and peace, at least until my familiar nightmares started. Thomas Hearn had prayed, and to be honest so had I, that the poor girl in the story, Alice Winters, had some peace as well. I wondered if Mum knew about the story, and never mentioned it, because she knew I struggled against the thought of the dead in the graveyard at the best of times. Our family, the Elliots before Mum married, went back almost that far. Other people on the moor wanted to forget the sad fate of Alice Winters, so it was washed from the collective memory of the locals, never to be repeated to the tourists when they started to come to the tiny seaside towns and villages on the romantic north coast of Somerset and Devon. Relieved and pleased with my newfound confidence in my sanity, I sat down to eat fish and chips, or freezer food rather than fresh, and watched some telly. The wind came up again, and along with it the rain, but I pushed all thoughts of banging doors aside as I retired to bed. I would not be governed by irrational fear. I'd never let it affect my working life. I wasn't going to let it affect me now. I lay in my small room at the back of the house and stared at the damp patch until I fell asleep. Crack, crack, bang, bang. <coughs> I sat bolt upright in bed. The clock said 0335. This wasn't going to stop. I really needed it to stop. Angry now with Miss Alice Winters, I decided to face the battle head on, and I'd damned well win. I dressed in my discarded combats, jumper, jacket and wellingtons again. Armed with a working torch this time, I headed out of the front door, up the narrow lane, through the gate, and took the steps two at a time. The torch bobbed about, flashing on savage-looking grass, shards of rain, tumbled leaves from the remains of autumn. The banging lulled, as if my anger gave it pause, then resumed with even greater intensity. My breathing came hard, my heart a machine used to adrenaline, and my mind focused on the mission. A scream, part wind, part... 
Something else I refused to acknowledge came from my right. The tower. I stormed through the ragged grass and stood under the squat, dark grey stone tower with its slate-black tiles. What do you want? I bellowed. What the hell do you want? Save I turned in place. What? That awful prickling, tightening of my skin, a flicker of sensation over my scalp, like a rough feather twisting and flicking over my flesh. This sensation saved my life during combat. I took a moment. No sniper sight would be on me now. No suicide bomber on the other side of a door. No grenade launcher. No RPGs or rifle fire strafing the area. I'm at home, on Exmoor, and it's October. Just breathe in the night air, Lorne, and listen. I inhaled, relaxed my shoulders and closed my eyes. I had to trust my senses to keep me safe in this strange halfway world surrounding the old church. My feet turned back towards the entrance of the church, and I walked, vision a little blurry. Then I saw a shape. Standing there, just in front of the porch, I saw a flickering image of a girl, cloak over her shoulders, head covered by the hood, untouched by the wind and rain, pale dress muddling in with the grass. Bang! 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 She, it, flinched, looked over her shoulder at the lane, body mass flickering as my torch spluttered and died. In the weak moonlight, I saw the language of panic in her small frame as she ran into the porch. I ran after her, desperate to help. How? Didn't matter. Instinct rolled me. I had to save the girl. Isn't that what broken warriors did? Save the innocent. The door to the church stood open, but I'd watched Thomas Hearn shut and lock it. We'd both checked it before he'd left. I tumbled down a shallow step into the nave, washed black by the night. Movement caught my eye. A flickering figure of greys rushed towards the tower. Alice, wait, I cried out, knowing I might as well be begging the radio to stop. I took a step towards her and hit something solid in the aisle. Almost falling, I grabbed the nearest pew to keep my balance. I looked down. A face. A young woman's face, white in the black. Bang! 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 <laughs> I knelt and lifted the small body into my arms. A warm but limp body. Save her! Yes! The noise whispered through the church. I looked towards the tower. Alice Winters flickered in and out. Time to leave here now, Alice. Time to go. I'm here now. I'll protect Stoke Perrow, and I'll always open the door to sanctuary. Tears coursed down my face. How many lives had been ruined by someone else's hubris? The vision flickered out, and the dark of the church eased. Thomas Hearn stood beside me as I answered the police's questions about how I found Laura Winters, a distant relative perhaps, in the nave of the church. She had crawled into the nearest building off the beacon, after two days of waiting to be found. A fractured leg and broken phone made it impossible for her to move far, but she'd made it down the hill to the church. It was the only building she could see, and knew she'd be saved if she could get out of the storm. The door had opened the moment she pushed against it. Thomas and I just stared at her as she explained it to the paramedics in my kitchen. When I'd found her on the cold floor of the church, my training kicked my mind into a different zone. I carried her to the farmhouse, saw to her immediate needs of warmth, checking for blood loss, and seeing her lower leg swollen to a size no one should see a leg. After days and nights of exposure, the girl looked terrible, but she was alive and most concerned about her horse. I rang the ambulance service and the police in Minehead. 
I then gave her the phone so she could ring her near-hysterical parents. They must have broken the land-speed record they made it over from Linton so fast. I also rang Thomas. He came up from Luckham. I needed reassurance and backup that I hadn't kept Laura in some weird kidnapping game. She, fortunately, backed up every word I said to the police. When the madness ended, Thomas and I sat at my table with large whiskies. So what really happened, Lorne? he asked. I told him. Every word, gospel truth. You think she's gone now? I asked him. He stared out of the window for a moment before drawing his focus back on me. I think so. I'm almost disappointed my prayers didn't work. I chuckled. There's that hubris again. Mm, true. I should work on the sin of pride a little more. Shouldn't we all? The prayers did work, Thomas. They gave me the strength and confidence to go into battle. If I hadn't found a way to follow Alice, they wouldn't have found Laura, and she'd have been stuck in the church for days. Who knows if the door would have opened for anyone else but me at that moment. Thomas's eyes widened. Dear Lord, I hadn't thought of that. He shuddered. Scenario was playing out in his head about finding her dead body in his church days later, before the next service. And perhaps we did everything we needed to have the happy ending young Alice so desperately needed. It'd still have been all in my head, some soldier's instinct pulling me into the church, the door lock warping in the weather, affected by the cold of the night. Thomas nodded. Perhaps. Perhaps. That night, the only noises I heard were the ones screaming in my head. The demons I brought home with me from the desert. No quick fix for them. No bottle of pills either, because I'd flushed them. So I began to run over the moor. One day or night, I might outrun my ghosts. Listen to novel-length Lorne Turner Supernatural Mystery Thrillers by Joe Talon on Audible.